Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Come celebrate Lowe's first annual Spring Fest and give your lawn the look it deserves with five bags of premium mulch for $10 or three 19.3-ounce Bonnie vegetables and herbs for $9. Spring Fest, a festival of fun and savings for your garden and total home, in-store or online. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. Offers valid through 421 while supplies last, in-store only. Selection varies by location, U.S. only, excluding Alaska and Hawaii. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 10th, 2020. On this week's episode, we recap the series against the Cleveland Indians. Despite having no fans, home teams are still playing above 500 uh, at their home ballparks, and the White Sox have only one series this season against the Cleveland Indians at home. So we will recap that critical series against Cleveland and look ahead to the White Sox next series as they head to Detroit. The Tigers are off to a hot start. They're 8-5 and five in 2020. Can the White Sox cool them off? Also, are the White Sox going to play games next weekend as they are scheduled to face the St. Louis Cardinals, who again have another player that has tested positive for the coronavirus? At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The win was not pretty. Uh, the probably one of the most awkward shutouts I've ever seen, uh, and the losses. One loss was just downright downright ugly. The second loss was unfortunate, uh, as the White Sox gave, they had the lead against Shane Bieber, and they found a way to generate three runs, but uh, lost in extra innings. And now the White Sox are eight and eight to start 2020. So, how are you feeling right now about the White Sox after 16 games? I'm feeling okay, you know, 500 in a season where you're going to have more than half the teams make the postseason, I think is a pretty good place to be sitting as a default. 
it's been a pretty tough schedule so far. I think, you know, I've said before that the Indians are programmed to hit on the White Sox, one of the White Sox weak points again and again and again with their uh, command-oriented right-handed pitchers against the White Sox uh, tendency to right-handed hitters, especially to expand the strike zone. Uh, and uh, so, you know, I'm not surprised that they they look as rough against the Indians. And, you know, as you mentioned, it should have been, you know, winning two out of three. They had a uh, lead against Shane Bieber, uh, which was really, you know, like the, the shutout was accomplished in ugly fashion. The lead against Bieber was accomplished in ugly fashion. I think they're going to have to win, you know, ugly as we as the phrase we're very familiar with against the Indians to make it work and they haven't quite figured out how to do that yet but eight and eight with a weaker and I guess perhaps non-existent part of the schedule coming up is not bad I think there are certainly worse outcomes and uh, we got our opportunity for the first extra innings experience of course there was a rain delay uh, for the White Sox with their first extra innings experience, uh, and they lost that third game 5-4 to four with runners on first and second, and uh, Lurie Garcia and Yohan Makata could not muster another hit against Oliver Perez, who is still pitching in the major leagues, shockingly. Uh, but Jim, now getting an opportunity to watch the White Sox in extra innings, how do you feel about the new rule? It's not bad. Um, you know, I, I've seen it a few times in the minors and, you know, when you have the minors and, and you don't really care about who wins or loses, it's more about developing players and, and making sure you keep them healthy. You know, it feels in the spirit of minor league baseball there, just like have fun in the game here. It's like, it's exciting, or at least, you know, it, it provides instant drama. You can't really settle into the inning at all. So you're already on kind of the edge of your seat when you, when the inning starts both innings. So that's kind of neat. The one thing I don't like about it, the one thing I think that's going to be tough for me to abide, I guess, is like the just Jimmy Cordero getting saddled with the loss in an inning where he did nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah, he comes in with a runner in second. Here's the runner in second, gets weak contact to center field, can't tag up, gets a dribbler to third that Moncada can't handle, and then, you know, a squeeze bunt that shouldn't have been possible if Moncada made the play. Uh, turns into another base runner because Grandal misplays it. And then the single, you know, makes it a two-run game. And so Cordero is stuck with the loss and earned run that he shouldn't have been on the mound for. So that's, I think, when you look at the history of Major League Baseball and the history of box scores and, you know, I guess until now, you'd look at the ninth inning, you kind of scroll the box score, you see a, bo- uh, a pitcher line with a loss next to his name, and you can see an earned run, you can see, you know, hits, you can kind of just size it up and say, well, he blew it. In this case, you know, Cordero really didn't blow it. But still, you stuck with the loss like you did, and I think that's what makes it a little bit frustrating and almost feels like it needs a different kind of category for pitchers. You know, like maybe just don't bother with wins and losses when you have a runner that they're not responsible for. Uh, When it comes to extra innings or team win, team loss, some kind of pitching stat that way, that makes it a bit easier to uh, negotiate uh, versus the entire history of Major League Baseball. But in terms of action, I didn't mind it, but it's just a weird way to process the end of the game and pretend it's normal. Yeah, and as far as the way that Rick Renteria managed that inning, I don't think there's really anything you could do differently. I, I didn't mind that Jimmy Cordero was the pitcher to come after Alex Colomay, and we'll talk about Aaron Bummer uh, in a moment here as far as in the show and the impact of Aaron Bummer not being around uh, for the White Sox. But the one thing, especially watching the minor leagues for the last couple of years, Jim, is that managers have to understand that if you bring in a reliever, 
that really focuses more on generating weak contact and not someone that can rack up strikeouts, you're going to put a lot of pressure on your defense. And if your defense is not above average in these high-pressure situations, they're going to make mistakes, and those mistakes are going to cost you games. And I think that's what we saw against Cleveland, Jim. As you mentioned, Yohan Makata can't find the grip on the baseball, and it slips out of his hand. And Yasmani Grandal, first time playing first base for the White Sox, kind of completely forgets that if I can't make the play at home, I should just turn around and still get the guy at first base to to limit the damage and you try to play hero. Even if Jose Abreu's playing first base, I think Jose Abreu tries to attempt the same thing that Grandal did, Jim, as far as to try to get the runner out at home as far as Ramirez. Yeah, I I can kind of see that. I think maybe the one difference is like it was a good bunt or it was an adequate bunt. At the, at the very least with the speed of the runner on third. So, you know, maybe there, there wasn't possible. I think, you know, the one thing that maybe where Grandal's inexperience played up was the fact that he didn't, like, kamikaze charge it from first the second time DeShield showed bunt. Like, his, he gave it away the first time, uh, what his thoughts were. So he had signaled that he was going to bunt. It wasn't completely by surprise. And so that, you know, Grandal basically wasn't at his feet when he showed bunt was maybe, uh, you know, revealed his inexperience. And then, like, just, just the very soft flip home, too. I think just there are a few things there. The the not immediate break home, the very soft flip, and then just, you know, not choosing the out at first when, you know, the odds were there. Just It struck me as, like, all three of those things kind of revealed a different facet of, of Grandal's experience. Maybe Abreu doesn't make the play, but maybe he flips home or throws home a little harder, a little firmer to at least True. show that, uh, you know, his thought process was not as, uh, I guess, uh, flawed as Grandal's was. Yeah, the soft flips was a theme all night um, between especially Danny Bendick and Lurie Garcia. They have to break out of that habit. It's just too slow. I know why they're doing it because they can be a little bit more accurate with the soft toss a second, but you can't do that in the major leagues, especially a team that has a little bit of speed like Cleveland does. You have to make that quick transition. You have to try to make a solid throw that's got some velocity behind it to help make those turns, especially at second base, because even though they did get the double plays, they were a lot closer than they needed to be, especially in the extra innings where, uh, I think the Shields was almost safe at second base. They had to review it as it was a bane bane play, and it really shouldn't have been. Yeah, he might have been safe if he was called safe. Like I don't know if they right. would have had been able to overturn a safe call. Right, that's a good point, Jim. So yeah, the soft tosses were part of the theme as far as Game Three um, between the White Sox and Indians. Um, so as far as that's the first extra innings experience, and again, that would be the, the same situation for the rest of the season for the White Sox if they do play any extra inning games for the rest of the year. And I know I see your guys' reactions already on Twitter. You hate it, but that's the way it's going to be for 2020. Uh, let's focus as far as on the positives here out of this weekend. And I think Lucas Giolito, Jim, has really bounced back from his bad start in opening day against the Minnesota Twins. He's now churned out three good starts for the White Sox. He has stepped up to be their ace. And even though he did walk five against Cleveland on Sunday, he did strike out nine and he struck out the side in his last inning of work. And he showed a lot of energy coming off the mound. And it looks like that he really wants to step up 
to these marquee matchups because this was not a this was a really tough test for Lucas Giolito. Knowing that Shane Bieber is going to be on the mound and he is only allowed two runs in his three starts, which were off home runs, you had to put up zeros for most of the game. And Giolito had one bad inning, made a mid-game adjustment, Jim, and he kept Cleveland off the scoreboard and put the White Sox in position to win. And that's all you could really ask for from your ace. Yeah, He's he's been uh, you know strong since the first outing, like you said. And what I like seeing tonight was, um, well, I guess I'll say what I didn't like seeing was just that sometimes he seems to rely on the changeup too much and he forgets he has a third pitch. And I think he tries to keep it as simple as possible, toggling between the fastball and the changeup and pushing and then pulling the string. And but then you know we've seen now a couple innings in the last two starts or an inning in each of the last two starts where they. They, they, they start reading his book and he's slow to adjust, gives up a few bad, you know, uh, bad sequences in a row. They sting him for a couple runs. And then you're, you just kind of have to hope that he gets back on track and that the White Sox offense can rebound. In in this case, uh, both happened. And to Giolito's credit, you know, there's a mound visit, came out, found the slider and, and found it in a big way through 19 of them, which uh, he really he'd been throwing them like 5% of the time or something like that. His first... Uh, three starts came back through 19 of them when he hadn't shown them the first uh, one and a half times through the order and uh, was using it to as a put away pitch as a you know, strike grabbing pitch really uh, just dismantled everything the Indians had adjusted to and they couldn't get back and he you know his his last inning was as strong as striking out the side so yeah it was a great adjustment midway through especially against a team that you know the Indians are shorthanded after like the first four spots in the order and uh you know, he should be able to turn it on like that, and he did. And again, continuing the theme early in 2020, it seems the White Sox are having a significant injury that happens every single series that dramatically changes the team makeup. And uh, this time it's Aaron Bummer, who has gone on the 10-day injured list as far as uh, the White Sox reporting bicep cramps. And we'll see on how severe... That injury is for Aaron Bummer, but the White Sox will not have their top left-handed arm out of the bullpen for at least the next 10 games. And uh, Jim, it's big because when the White Sox have been in these high leverage situations before the ninth inning, it is Aaron Bummer that's getting the ball. And Aaron Bummer had been throwing really well, like back to his nasty self that we saw last season. Uh, And the reason why the White Sox were comfortable giving him a guaranteed contract, a a long-term contract to be with the White Sox uh, for the upcoming seasons. What do you think is going to be the impact to the White Sox bullpen, which is which has been performing well to start 2020, now not having Aaron Bummer for at least the next two weeks? Well, you know, tonight notwithstanding, I think Evan Marshall's a decent first option for, you know, big innings in general. Um, you know, really the, the problem was all weekend, why did they walk Carlos Santana so many times? I- Eight, eight times in three games. You just, you gotta, this is, this is a PSA to any team playing Cleveland. You gotta challenge him. Like I know friend Mill, you know, friend Mill Reyes had that big hit, right? That, that drove in Santana to, to tie the game. But man, if you're going to just continue to walk Santana, cause it's just not the White Sox. How many Santana's got like 23 walks right now and he's not even batting 200. Like no team is challenging him, Jim. Yeah, and I, you know, the White Sox just 
didn't, you know, I can see he's a good hitter. You know, this isn't disrespecting Santana. I mean, he's a very accomplished hitter, but he's not a dominant presence. He's not somebody, you know, like Lindor and Ramirez, the guys you say, don't let him beat you. Santana, he can probably let him beat you once, you know, like give him a chance to beat you. If he happens to hit a homer, then he might say, okay, we got to be a little bit more careful. But I think he's somebody who, uh, you know, has to prove himself a little bit when it comes to just changing the entire course of games. Uh, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> At least not eight walks in three games good. So there's that, you know, and then, you know, Reyes comes with a double when, you know, and, and that's the reason why you pitch to Santana. You don't put him on because, you know, there's only one way to score a runner from the plate. You know, that, you know, there are multiple ways to score a runner from first. And that, and that's why I didn't like that, especially at two outs you know, and just needing one more batter to get through. So that was frustrating. But ultimately, I think, you know, Marshall's stuff has been strong enough to where he can uh, you know, provide most tough innings like in an isolated uh, appearance. I think it's just the matter of the cumulative thing, like not being able to spread the workload around to another, you know, more accomplished reliever and bummer. And also... You know, the left-handed relief, uh, they're really shallow there. You know, Jace Fry's been a little bit better than he was last year, but still not trustworthy. And it looks like Ross Detweiler is the guy now that the White Sox trust in such, uh, I guess, high-leverage left-handed situations. Uh, they didn't use him in that second game, that bullpen game. I thought we might have seen Detweiler for like three innings as the second pitcher. In relief of Matt Foster, he did not come in until the ninth uh, just to get an inning. So that seemed to tip the hand that Renteria is probably more comfortable you know, he wants to, him to be available for such situations later in games where he needs a lefty, but we don't know if Detweiler can do that. So I think those are, that's going to be where it's going to be felt is if Marshall needs to be used two days in a row in this kind of season in such a situation, or if it's like a lefty-heavy thing where all of a sudden Detweiler is the guy who needs to miss bats and get ground balls. He's he's getting grounders this year, so there's that, and maybe that's that's where he can help. But the strikeouts, the, the combination of strikeouts and those ground balls, I think is going to... Uh, be felt at some point um and you mentioned you know all of you know, the series are defined by wins are defined by it the last three wins the white Sox have had they've lost four players that's just crazy yeah like at this point i'm happy when the white Sox lose just because it means everybody's fine <laughs> oh that's terrible that's terrible well speaking to terrible Let's talk about the White Sox offense lately. They only scored seven runs in this weekend series, and I don't care who your opponent is. If you if you only score seven runs in a series, I more times than not, you're not going to win that series. That's just not enough runs. And, you know, I know that Jose Abreu's got a, a lot of attention, especially with his struggles in running with runners in scoring position, uh, and that is legit. He does need to hit better with runners in scoring position, but the entire team does as this team continues to sink uh, with runners in scoring position as far as their slash line and productivity. But now it's another hitter that's starting to get ice cold, and it's Aloy Jimenez, Jim. In his last five games, he is 0 for 19. In the month of August, he has seven hits. Those seven hits came in two games. Two games. So we have a lot of hitless games coming from Aloy Jimenez. He's not pulling the ball. His pull rate is down 12% from last year. And his ground ball rate has increased by 5%. It is currently at 52% of the time. Aloy Jimenez is hitting a grounder when he's making contact. He has elite exit velocity, Jim. But any idea on why Aloy Jimenez has been struggling to start 2020. 
Yeah, you, well, you mentioned the results, and you know, you wrote a good post about uh, the first quarter of the season and the White Sox issues with runners in scoring position up and down the lineup. Abreu, and you mentioned Jimenez too. Um, it seems like they're they're pitching him outside like a slider heavy diet, kind of like last year, and he's just not driving the ball to right center the way he does when they're pitching him away. Like, you know, back in when he was dominating the Southern League and with Charlotte and so forth, they would just pitch him away, 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 and just wasn't phased by it. Just drive the ball out to right center field of uh, region's uh, field and make it look small. And he's just not able to find that swing right now. The barrel is not getting to, you know, like when he does get into a mistake, or uh, they do challenge him in the inner half, he's not getting the barrel there. So it seems like he's caught in between timing-wise and just resulting in like a bad off-balance hitting position to where he just, you know, the the good uh, the good contact that he's making stays on the ground because he's just kind of reaching around and, and yanking it and really, you know, not driving it. He's just strong enough to where his grounders do have good velocity, but yeah, just uh, seems like a low and away, low and away, low and away. And, um, and that's the thing I think with the Indians and just watching and being on the receiving end of a lot of angry White Sox tweets. Um and, and just, you know, feeling the flow of the season so far that, you know, and, and if I could somehow uh, log tweets based on, like, emotional content, I imagine, like, throughout the season, you know, we're going to see, and maybe even to next season, I think you're going to see the anger spike with Minnesota and Cleveland series, and then it's just going to dissipate when they play lesser opponents, just because the Indians, I think, are just really good at exploiting that. And I think same thing with the... Uh, you know, Brewers, when they had, you know, those those sinker ballers, just same thing that can get them low and lower and just getting them to top balls, you know, versus uh, leaving mistakes up in the zone to drive. And when you have pitchers that good, especially on Cleveland staff that are just so good at hitting that spot with sliders and, and uh, you just either working a little bit off the plate, running stuff back onto the plate, just making them so, so aware of that low outside corner and making them stretch it, that uh, he's going to be, I think he's still young enough and anxious enough and uh, probably slump prone enough to fall into these ruts. And I'm expecting that, you know, when the, as the schedule weakens, assuming that some of the games are allowed to be played, that uh, he'll start hitting more. And I think the the tone of following the game on Twitter and such will be a bit lighter just because I really do think that these Indians pitchers are just programmed to make life miserable for White Sox hitters and the people who watch them. Well, I mean, the Indians are now 10 and 7. In 17 games to start 2020, they have yet to allow more than four runs in a game. I mean, yeah. they've just been trouble for everyone that they're playing right now. And that's a good recipe for success. I mean, their offense is not, it, it doesn't scare you. The top four batters, Hernandez, Ramirez, Lindor, Santana, yeah, they cause headaches, and they're going to score some runs, and they could put up some crooked numbers when they get an opportunity to face a starting pitcher a second or third time through the order gym. But when you're facing an opponent like Cleveland, knowing that, man, it's going to be a tough day to score more than four runs, that obviously puts a lot more onus on the pitching and defense in those games. But it would be nice if the White Sox, with this lineup that we had a lot of high hopes for, before the start of the season, could find a way to crack that streak uh, against Cleveland. But the White Sox and the Indians will not be facing each other until the final week now of the 2020 season. So I guess that's good news. (laughs) The White Sox won't have to face uh, the stellar Cleveland 
pitching staff, but if the White Sox want to make the postseason and if they're in postseason contention, uh, they're going to have to go back to Cleveland and they're going to have to try to find a way to steal uh, some wins there as that will be a four-game series the next time the White Sox have to travel to Cleveland later this year. But yeah, the offense is not hitting on all cylinders and there will be times that happens. It happens to every team in the course of the season. It just gets magnified, right, Jim? When you're in a 60-game season like 2020, that... Yes, it's only 16 games, but you've already played 25% of your season. And if you're slumping now, you don't have a lot of time to make up that ground, right? You could could really have some ugly numbers at the end of the season. And Aloy Jimenez, in which he was doing really well to start the year, he was helping generate offense in the lower half of the lineup with Luis Robert when Robert had that terrific start Uh, to the season and now he's cooling off the strikeouts are coming for the rookie Um, but I'm just a little bit surprised that Jimenez has been really struggling and I guess I was expecting him to have a a hotter start to the year Uh, but it would be definitely something to be paying attention to is that if he can reduce being anxious and maybe demonstrate a little bit more patience and force pitchers to have to attack him in the strike zone then I'll be paying attention to see if he gets any pitches that he could definitely drive as far as hitting line drives or fly balls and try to do more damage because right now he's either striking out Jim or he's beating the ball into the ground. Yeah. It's, you know, it's you, you, everything you said about the you know short season and just everything being amplified is true. It just, the thought I keep coming back to, and I think the thought that isn't very popular, on, uh, you know, as a defense is just, I don't know what, hitters are supposed to do in a season like this, or I don't know what players are supposed to do or managers are supposed to do. It's like, it's unprecedented circumstances, especially in, you know, anybody who's alive, you know, anybody's lifetime who can actually remember, you know, maybe somebody who could think back to 1918 and the flu pandemic <laughs> might have some parallels, but just, you know, the late start of the season, the, uh, all the, you know, the, the stop and start preseason, all the, you know, injuries, especially in the pitching ranks and everything. And, just uh, the short stints for pitchers and just the expanded pitching staffs, the amount of uh, relievers that can be used in the game, uh, the the lack of reliance on a five-man rotation at the onset of a season. Uh, yeah, just it's new for everybody, and I don't, you know, I, I am disappointed by the way by the way Jimenez looks, but I just don't know if I should have been expecting more or if this is what we should have been expecting. Just, you know, if we have hitters that are flawed and are learning and still have to mature, that uh, is it, are these the circumstances under which they do that? And, and yeah, I'll, I'll admit I don't know. And I think I'm comfortable with not knowing. And I think uh, that's where we're used to knowing. We're used to have an idea of what sample sizes mean. I don't know what sample sizes mean right now. I'm with you on this sample size because writing that article in Sox Machine as far as look at the first quarter numbers, I, I I try to make it clear at the very beginning, it's a 15-game sample size. We would not be doing that level of analysis over the first 15 games of a 162-game season, Jim, right? It's not even 10% mm-hmm. of the season. Um, <laughs> but, but when you're at 25% of the season, yeah, we do that type of analysis because you got 40-plus games, you've played a month or you're a month and a half into the season, you got some data to maybe give you some clues on on how a player season's going to play out in 2020. I just think with Jimenez, with the season starting in late July and avoiding the cold weather, 
I was expecting a hot start from Jimenez and to provide as far as some much needed power for the White Sox. And it's not happening right now. But again, like I mentioned, he's had two good games in the month of August where he's racked up seven hits. So we know that it can happen. He can have a monster game. It's just that right now it's a lot more hitless games for him. And I'm wondering if we're just starting to see this trend that the White Sox hitters know that they're struggling as a unit and they're struggling to score runs. And I wonder if they're just pressing right now. And it'd be really nice in one of the first couple of games against Detroit if this offense can break out and put up seven plus runs and then everybody can relax and exhale and get back to their normal rhythms and start being more consistent on offense, Jim. Yeah, I think if they can show that they can beat up average pitching staffs with regularity, you know, not just every game, but just, you know, have like a good showing, uh, you know, one game, a se- like a great showing one game a series, a good showing one game a series, then like, you know, average or below average, whatever, but just be able to feel like you can count on a crooked number at some point in a game, uh, you know, with a good sequence of hitters. Uh, like the way they showed against Kansas City, just beating up average or below average staffs. I think that'll get the job done this year. I think just having a high concentration of games against maybe the best staff in the league (laughs) so early in the season uh, might be a little bit of a skewed sample for everything else. But then again, you have Detroit, and as you mentioned, uncertainty with St. Louis. Who really knows? (laughs) At the end of next week, whether we'll be able to say anything changed if they only are able to play uh, you know, two or three games. Well, let's talk about next week as we will preview as far as the upcoming series as the Chicago White Sox head to Detroit to face the Tigers for the first time in 2020. Over the next 10 games, they are slated to play seven games against the Detroit Tigers. But will the White Sox play 10 games over the next 11 days? We'll be discussing that coming up next after the break on the Sox Machine Podcast. It's planting season. That means that now is the perfect time to add some color to your yard. And for that, you can't do better than roses from Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs. They're the ones in the white containers. Each one has been trialed and tested by a team of expert horticulturists. Look for Proven Winners Roses in the white containers at your local garden center. Because you and your home deserve the best. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as we now shift to previewing the White Sox upcoming series against the Detroit Tigers. And again, in the intro, the Detroit Tigers are red hot right now. They really started the season opening up some eyes, winning their opening series against the Cincinnati Reds, and they haven't stopped winning since. They are now 8-5, and five, and they're currently in second place in the American League Central. Uh, which is uh, something I 
Didn't expect to say at any point in the 2020 season, but there's Detroit. They're eight and five right now, and the White Sox uh, are behind them in the standing. So, can the White Sox cool off the red hot Tigers? Well, let's find out what the probable pitchers are first between the White Sox and the Tigers. And on Monday and Tuesday, these are 6.10 p.m. Central Time games. On Monday, it's Dallas Keuchel for the White Sox against Michael Fulmer. On Tuesday, it's Gio Gonzalez against Tyler Alexander. And then Wednesday, it is a 12.10 p.m. Central Time start. So get some lunch and watch the White Sox as it'll be Dylan Cease against Matthew Boyd. And uh, Detroit's offense is averaging 5.23 runs per game. Their pitching is allowing 5.23 runs per game. Uh, Detroit's games have been uh, very entertaining. Uh, it could be anything where it's 17 to 13 in extra innings or they turn around and they win a 2 to 1 ball game. And uh, some of the players that are really off to terrific starts, Jacoby Jones is hitting 342 for the Tigers with a 405 on base percentage and he's slugging 763 with a 221 weighted runs created plus and then CJ Crone, uh, their first baseman, is hitting 216, but he's got a 622 slugging percentage with a 176 weighted runs created plus. So that means he's 76% better than league average offensively. And uh, Jim, you know, the Detroit Tigers are a hodgepodge team. We know that they're rebuilding, uh, but they are playing good baseball right now. For the White Sox, who are 8-8 eight and eight and just having to go through a pretty difficult part of their schedule, we are expecting them to collect wins against the Tigers and Royals in this season, especially the shorn version of this, ser- uh, this season. What do you think the White Sox need to do to come out of Detroit with a series win, if not a series sweep? Well, it seems like regression should be on their side, you know, based on just the strength of the schedule argument. When you look at the who the Reds have played, or the uh, Tigers have played, they've played the Reds, the Royals, the Reds, the they they got washed out with the Cardinals, or not washed out, they got postponed the Cardinals due to the COVID outbreak, and then the Pirates. So it's just you know, f- you know, necessarily postseason guaranteed teams, except for the one that is currently uh, dealing with an outbreak. So you know they. It makes sense that they might be able to fatten up on on some of those teams, especially like you know, under my uh, theory of year of the quadruple A player, to where you know like a guy like you know CJ Crone is better than quadruple A, but Jacoby Jones is kind of one of those fringe players, and uh, like you know Jonathan Scope who can bounce around a second division starter, just all these guys who are happy to get chances to get a lot of playing time. You know they can do some damage in small samples and and you know, isolated series. So, you know, I think uh, we're seeing right now in hot weather, say if the the ball is carrying well in smaller parks, that they can, you know, do damage for a game at a time. I'm hoping that the White Sox can, you know, as you mentioned, and, and you know, as we talked about, just be able to do more damage against a lesser staff, which I think they have. So I can see some high-scoring games, and, you know, theoretically the, uh, the White Sox should be able to, you know, outmatch them on paper, and, and two out of three seems like you should expect. I think if they lose a series drop below 500, um, you know, it's cause for some angst just because, uh, uh, especially say if the Cardinal series uncertain, it's going to be, it's going to stay with you for a while. Just the, uh, the aftertaste of a lost series against Detroit is going to linger. Yeah. And you know, you got Michael Fulmer who hasn't made an appearance in two weeks. It sounds like he'll go a few innings in game one. And then Daniel Norris, uh, will follow Michael Fulmer, 
uh, Tyler Alexander, uh, in his last appearance, struck out nine consecutive batters, uh, which was a major league record for a reliever, uh, which is very impressive. So he's going to get an opportunity to open that game for Detroit. And then uh, Matthew Boyd, man, I don't know what has happened with Matthew Boyd. I was I thought highly of him last year, Jim, um, but he's got a 9.20 ERA with just 13 strikeouts, and uh, he's allowed 15 runs on 23 hits over 14 and two thirds innings in, in three starts. So he's struggling to get to the fifth inning, and he's allowing a high amount of runs and hits. Uh, so it, you know, last year we would see Michael Fulmer, or in the past before his injury, Michael Fulmer and Matthew Boyd and be like, well, you know, this is going to be a tougher series than we thought because those guys can really pitch. Um, but that doesn't really seem to be the case for this uh, upcoming series for the Detroit Tigers against the White Sox. So for me, I think, again, it's it's the offense. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep pounding that drum, Jim. The White Sox offense really could use a breakout game and to hopefully get them to relax and get into a rhythm because watching these games, I feel like they're just pressing. Yeah, Boyd has been iffy for quite some time now. He's you know, He was rough in the second half of last year. Like he got off to... Good start. You know, really had really good peripherals. Had a bit of, you know, maybe not Cy Young hype, but just theoretically, like, if he sustained this, he would be in the Cy Young conversation. And then he kind of fell off in the second half, gave up a ton of homers. Strikeout rate fell. And, yeah, I could see that, you know, maybe now that the entire season is the second half with warm weather and such ball carrying, that maybe the home run problems are going to uh, catch up with him. And I wouldn't mind seeing him blow up uh, this time around. I know the White Sox have had a number of good games against him. Uh, yeah, mostly early. I think he's caught up a little bit later, but um, I'm looking right now. Yeah, he's had eh, yeah, he had really good peripherals last year, but even then they got him for uh, 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 13 runs over 20 innings. So they tend to have good batted ball fortunes against him, even if sometimes the you know, walks and strikeouts can go in the wrong direction. So I feel pretty good about this. I just hope that the, the pitching holds up and that there isn't some kind of you know, great bullpen regression or a Keiko stumble or something like that, that uh, you can explain when you look at the big picture, but in the short term is very unsatisfying. Again, that's the series Monday through Wednesday in the White Sox. Originally, we're supposed to have the Field of Dreams game this upcoming Thursday, but of course that got canceled and they that game was moved from Thursday to Friday as the St. Louis Cardinals are scheduled to come to the south side of Chicago to play three games against the White Sox over the weekend. But Jim, we now have to ask this question because, again, the White Sox are supposed to play the St. Louis Cardinals next weekend uh, after the series in Detroit. But the Cardinals just postponed their midweek series upcoming against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, So the Pirates will not be playing Monday through Wednesday now because another St. Louis Cardinals player has tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. And uh, it's really odd. It's odd that because the Cardinals have only played five games in 2020. And with the White Sox in their series against the Tigers after this, you know, these three games Monday through Wednesday, if the two teams play this upcoming weekend, the Cardinals will be playing game six while the White Sox will be playing game 20 of the 2020 season. Um, The coronavirus hasn't impacted the White Sox in having any of their games postponed this 2020 season. Jim, should we as fans mentally prepare to have the weekend off uh, this upcoming week? I would 
brace for it, especially us in the content community that <laughs> might have to buy some time. Uh, it, it's, it seems different. Like, uh, I was wondering why the Marlins seemed to... Uh, it didn't seem as prolonged or, 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 or stretched out to where just the uncertainty is Marlins were the first test. So they had their own brand of uncertainty in just terms of how the league would handle it. How, you know, what was protocol for a team on the road, you know, handling an outbreak and such, but they were able to basically like turn over more than half the roster, get a bunch of new guys in, isolate the players who were healthy and, and, and form a new you know, roving pirate ship of a team to at least get the job done in the short term. And, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, the Cardinals just seem to be the the cases seem to be mounting as a slower pace, or it's harder to tell who is uh, healthy, you know, who is truly healthy, and I guess you know, organizing the that part of the roster in order to complement it. Maybe that's the the thing that's uh, stranger. But um, you know, should there have to be two teams that cobble together such a roster to where you have uh, you know more than half the roster is uh, guys who are not major leaguers or maybe not in organizations uh, before this emergency broke. I just wonder what the critical mass is going to be for games missed or amount of rosters missed or amount of teams missing before the league starts deciding like games aren't going to be made up. Um, either games are forfeited or there's going to be like a qualifying pitcher rule for teams in that they have to play so many games in order to make the postseason. Or something, just so it's not entirely a winning percentage for a team that only plays 30 out of 60 games. Right. And then if they play 30 games and they got a better winning percentage, you know, what's going to be the state of their roster, you know, entering that playoff game? Are they going to have their double A squad having to play a three game playoff series over another team that was able to follow the health and safety protocols and get their 60 games in? I'm with you. I know that Major League Baseball has been making it up on the fly. And the Miami Marlins have a crazy schedule to end the 2020 season. Uh, There's more games that have to be played than days left on the calendar for the Miami Marlins. But like I mentioned, if the White Sox and Tigers get their series in, and if the Cardinals can get cleared and they are allowed to play, which their next series to be played after they clear as far as the coronavirus protocol is in Chicago to face the White Sox, that's game six for the Cardinals. It'll be game 20 for the White Sox. So the Cardinals would have to find a way to make up 14 games, Jim, uh, while other teams like the White Sox uh, have what would be 40 games. Yeah, 40 games. So the, the Cardinals will have to play 54 games in a, in the same span. Other teams have to play 40 games. I, I don't know. You, you're really going to be testing your 60-man roster, especially on the pitching front, to just try to get through those games. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the roster right now, or the schedule for the Cardinals right now, and yeah, they won't have played in two weeks. That's you know, that's another thing. Where the White Sox are playing with a regular schedule. They'll be coming off an off day, so at least they'll be somewhat rested. But at least you know they'll be in regular season form and battling regular season fatigue and regular season injuries and workloads and everything like that. And the Cardinals are basically just waking up <laughs> and, uh, you know, not necessarily for the better. I don't think there's an advantage there necessarily when half your roster is uh, missing. And, uh, but it's just, it, that's why I really just don't know about the season. And I don't really have 
expectations for what's going to be normal. I'm trying not to pretend I know what normal will be. And just really, I look at this season as about reps for players, you know, about being able to have seasons and not lose progress. So I think, uh, you know, I come from it, I come at it from a player perspective and that these at-bats for Luis Robert are important and these innings for Dylan Cease are important and, and, and on and on. And the, the, I guess the competitive integrity is such that the outcome of the games right now, especially when you have teams like the, a team like the Marlins that missed time, a team like the Cardinals, they don't know how much time they're going to miss, that I don't know how real the season is going to feel by like the end of August. No, those are good points, Jim. And a lot of our fans, as far as our listeners, especially our Patreon supporters, you guys had great questions, especially as far as for that topic for this week's P.O. Sox. So let's answer those questions next in our favorite segment of the show, P.O. Sox. At ADP, we work with more than 860,000 companies worldwide. That gives us a pretty good idea of how to help businesses grow stronger. Whether it's through data insights that help you make informed decisions about building a team that works better as a team. Or by keeping you ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. Like building that better team. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time, and payroll. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting them to us at Sox Machine or helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And uh, with Jim answering your questions this week, our very first question comes from Mark Hope. And Jim, Mark is asking... Zach Birdie mentioned he noticed a video on Twitter that resulted in him making an adjustment that bumped up his velocity between him and Lucas Giolito's training with his high school coach to up his game doesn't really shine a light on the White Sox pitching coaching staff. I guess that's just not a question, just a point for discussion. So how about it, Jim? I guess the question would be, does this reflect poorly on the White Sox pitching coach or pitching training apparatus? And it's not great just because I think paired with Carson Fulmer, never figuring it out and slipping backwards. That's two White Sox first round draft picks that, uh, you know, have done the opposite of what uh, everybody expected they would when they drafted them with uh, first round draft capital. So you know, paired so closely together in the same season, you know, where, you know, Fulmer goes to the Tigers and complains about what the White Sox, not really complained, but he did uh, say like that he just couldn't uh, write himself based on what the White Sox were giving him. And then with uh, Birdie, you know, he says that uh, a guy on Twitter kind of showed him the way. It's, you know, I guess a little bit disconcerting. I will say that, uh, you yeah, know, the White Sox do have some victories on their side, like Evan Marshall, uh, 
Sunday Night Notwithstanding uh, has been excellent with his stuff looking sharper and, and Aaron Bummer coming out of the 19th round and Cody Hoyer coming out of the sixth round and, and uh, you know Jimmy Cordero figuring out a, a fastball command and a changeup. Like they have some victories on their side. I think the bigger problem for me, and I wrote about this with Birdie's debut, is just that uh, it doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason for where their bullpen successes come from, which is good in some ways because you do get some pleasant surprises. But, you know, you see Kelvin Herrera come in and he's not what they think he is. Steve Ciszek so far is not what they think he is. Uh, Birdie hasn't been uh, what he thought or what the Sox thought until you know very recently. And let's see if he holds it. Carson Fulmer was supposed to have relief as a backup plan and, and he couldn't be further from that, at least uh, with the White Sox. We'll see what he does with Detroit. But it's just, uh, you know, it's so inconsistent. And uh, I think when the guys with the huge arms can't quite uh, look like they're supposed to coming out of the draft, I think that's just where uh, I would like to see the White Sox have a little bit better of a conversion rate or, or, or something where either where it's draft money or it's uh, free agent money that it, it feels like they're going to spend it wisely. Mark, thank you so much for your question slash discussion topic. Our next question comes from Alec, and Alec is asking, with the early injuries to pitchers and outbreaks of COVID cases for the Miami Marlins and St. Louis Cardinals, is it possible that baseball could finish this season doing more harm than good for the sport? I don't think it could possibly do more harm than good unless, say, you have a situation where you have some major health consequences uh, as a result. Right now, there is uh, you know, um, Eduardo Rodriguez on the Red Sox has had a heart complication and there could be others like him. It's too soon to say, but right now, you know, as far as we know, uh, the COVID cases that Major League Baseball has reported, people have recovered from, and, and maybe the worst ones were ones that were, where baseball wasn't uh, playing yet, like Freddie Freeman I'm thinking of, where he had a bad case. You know, the baseball wasn't active yet when he was uh, when he when he came down with it, so it's not really baseball's fault. If if a player you know suffers severe consequences, or a couple of them do, or like a key player does, where it's specifically traceable to the league restarting or some league, uh, some holes in the league protocol, then I can say that, you know, maybe uh, the risk reward just did not pan out. But right now I think uh, baseball, you know, seeing that all the other pro sports are in action and at least we'll see what happens to the NFL, but uh, it couldn't probably couldn't have afforded in real time to be the only one idle, especially with the way economic, the economic conversation, uh, dominated the proceedings I, I i think you know maybe if they were very public health minded and the owner said like we can't foresee a season that's longer than 60 games and even that's going to be a huge risk because this is a massive undertaking and and they really tried to educate the fans not that it probably wouldn't have worked but trying to just you know ben of uh, putting that front of mind saying like this is going to be really hard you know maybe then you know say some complications in other leagues especially like the nfl could be you know may have vindicated them in the long run but they wouldn't have been treated kindly they would have suffered pretty big economic consequences because of it and i don't know if that's going to be uh or or, or if that could have been overcome uh you know if they didn't play i think you know maybe people you know like me i would say like where i was saying like they probably shouldn't be playing right now <laughs> so people with my mindset would not have uh 
yeah, would, would not have blamed baseball if it didn't play. But I, I don't. I think I'm in the vast minority, and I think a, a lot of fans would have held against him. Other, you know, it's like NHL, NBA would have dominated the headlines, and and baseball would have looked at too weak or too dysfunctional to get it get it together. And even you know, <laughs> you know, given the I guess disregard for the non-death outcomes of COVID-19. Uh, you know, it seems to be like, you know, if, if people aren't dying, then it's fine. Um, I don't think the league would have really recovered from that. Just the, I guess, reputation hit of not having a season while everybody else was. Alec, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Mark Sambor. And Mark is asking, is it time to end the narrative about the depth of White Sox starting pitching? Going into the 2021 season, Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel appear to be the only starting pitchers that could be considered sure things. Cease can't throw strikes consistently. Kopech, Lambert, and Dunning are unknowns, and Lopez and Rodon cannot be relied upon. Uh, kinda. I, I would say that it's not really a narrative. It was true at the start of a full season where it looked like everybody was going to have you know, full time, ample time to ramp up and get together. And they would have, uh, you know, some overlap where they would have five to six healthy starters at the start of the season with guys like Carlos Radon and Dane Dunning and Jimmy Lambert joining the fray later in the season. So they had like a nice little overlap there. If some misfortune did befall the White Sox, but, uh, you know, that vision did not, you know, was not allowed to come to fruition because of the, the pandemic. So what you had afterwards is Michael Kopech opting out, which, you know, uh, you know, delivered an immediate hit on the White Sox pitching depth. And then, you know, Jimmy Lambert uh, not handling the ramp up, sudden ramp up intensity well, and Carlos Rodon looking a bit iffy. And uh, I guess we'll see with Rodon and Lopez if what they have is more just, standard spring training dead arm inflammation type stuff just you know i guess maybe exacerbated by ma the intensity of major league games then you know maybe it's a case where they'll come back for uh the bulk of or second half of august or maybe the the bulk of september and it'll look like they'll look like how they're supposed to look like like fourth fifth starter material and, and, and say Dylan Cease, I think I'm a little bit more bullish than you are, maybe, or at least how he looks right now. I think he can overcome that. I think the pitching depth will be, you know, will have been largely intact. Now, if Lopez and Rodon miss, you know, most of the season or they never look right, then that's uh, that's a blow for that uh, idea of pitching depth. And I think the problem will be that the White Sox, yeah, I would hope that the White Sox would be inspired to still shore it up with a significant investment in the offseason. I, I just wonder... You know, given the financial hit, you know, teams are taking and given uh, the, the posturing that Reinsdorf has taken with, uh, you know, the, the cuts and uh, he's going to have to make after the season and uh, just, you know, having faith in the guys that they have in their process, even if there isn't a whole lot of faith to be had that, you know, maybe they just don't short up adequately and, you know, the they'll have to test it all over again. But, you know, with, uh, you know, I guess with these injury cases like Lopez and Rodon, where those are actually like real cautionary tales and not just, you know, the effect of a short season that won't happen again when the regular season, you know, when a full 162 game season and spring training rolls around. I think that's where the danger is. And I would like to see the White Sox pretend that the narrative has taken a hit, even if uh, it might end up with an excess. Mark, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions and topics this week for P.O. Socks. If you would like to submit a question or topic for a future episode, 
of the Sox Machine podcast. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. And also help support Sox Machine on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. We're currently selling our new coffee mugs on SoxMachine.com. And for those that sign up to be on our $10 tier on patreon.com slash Machine, you can get an opportunity to get some swag. A lot of our Patreon supporters at that level have also received our new Sox Machine shirts. So if you really enjoy our work and you would like to support us, and if you would like some Sox Machine swag to go along with that support, go to patreon.com slash Machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. It's planting season. That means it's the perfect time to add proven winner's roses to your yard. Colorful, long-blooming, and so simple to grow, look for award-winning Proven Winners Roses in the white containers at your local garden center. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.